That's why you gotta get a bidet. I'm telling you. Dude, the bidet is the way to let you have a dirty. Apparently you have a good intro and you're talking about your itchy asshole over here. Like, I'm here for you, Doc. I'm here for oh you. Dude, God. I got a bidet from Walmart and I didn't realize that uh all the way open would be like a fucking pressure washer. Yeah. And uh <laughs> like I woke up, you know, like I get up like six thirty in the morning to get ready for work and I sat down and take my morning shit and I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I got the bidet and I reached down and hit the nozzle and launched through the fucking wall basically. <laughs> Fuck man. So then I had to go and get a clamp so that I could only open it quarter of the way. <laughs> <laughs> And cold water too, man, right up the poop chute. So, so yeah, so that that was my problem in Washington was like the water would like get stupid cold over the night. So first thing in the morning, you're just like squirting just ice water straight on. Uh, straight Sounds on your, terrible. Your, 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 uh, Sounds knot. just absolutely it, terrible. It's refreshing. Glacial, glacial. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. You know what? Good luck with the intro now. It's all you, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, fuck. Okay. <laughs> what fucking giggle, that? man? You goddamn. <laughs> I can't even like. I can't even focus right now. All right. Ah, welcome to another episode of Bomb Texas Beer Bellies. Hi. I'm your host, one of three. Uh, apparently, the only one that doesn't have a bidet. Which I guess is. I thought that was normal to not have one, but apparently I'm the odd man out, so that's cool. But we got Mr. Richie Rich Gasset over there. Oh, that's pulling off the man bun like a champ. That's fucking right. And then Mr. Devin Siler, who apparently likes cold water, shot his ass first thing in the morning. That's fucking weird, bro, but whatever floats your boat, dog, I'm in. You know what? <laughs> Respect. I mean, I just don't even... <laughs> you don't even know where to go with that. I don't. I'm. Not, I'm really. My cheeks hurt because I'm like smiling. I don't know what to say right now. That's fucking hilarious. I'm glad you All said right. smiling because I was really wondering which cheeks were hurting when you said it. Like my cheeks are hurting. Right. Apparently, I need some today. vicarious pain right now. Right. <laughs> just. Oh just god. Give me my, the old bum oh. bum. The Navy Seal treatment. Ice cold water every day. Is that the key the to success? Part, just start the day with ice cold water right in the ass. Hey, you want to wake up 4 a.m. with a puppy? That's how you get wide awake. Fuck. Let's get All right. Well, that's great, boys. Thanks. So, this week's episode is kind of a little in-betweener. Not a real heavy hitter like we've been doing and not a long series, but we're going to talk about the the hardest people in history, the you know, hardest people to kill or people that just won't die kind of deal. A little bit of both. And uh, I think everybody's picked one, but I know we all got some honorable mentions. Gonna talk about some fun stuff and some crazy stories. Um, yeah, super excited to see who everybody picked. No, yeah, no, I, I, that was my problem was I can't, I can't, I don't know about you guys, but I kept when I was researching this, I was like, you know, hardest people to kill, like this, that, and the other, and everyone had the same people on the same list ranked the same. Yeah. I was like, did everybody just copy each other? Right on that. So that's that's why I, I said I could not pick Rasputin. Which I will yeah, say, that's I, why I, I decided to switch from him as well because he's everybody's list. I, th- I think yeah. everybody knows. And, and for I those of you who don't know, Rasputin was a real person. He wasn't just an Anastasia, you know, character on a Disney movie. Yeah, and he was very hard to kill. He, but he and apparently he had a hog too. Apparently his dick is yeah. in formaldehyde in Moscow in a jar. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Apparently his. Yeah. his you can Google that. His... There's pictures of it. You know, you know, he rose to power through a sex cult, right? Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. So. It's fucking crazy. Which is pretty neat. I, I think. Guess. At least. So. I mean. Hmm. But yeah, uh, who wants to? You want to just round robin this one at a time, or how you guys want? How you feeling? What do you want to do? You know what? I kind of want to do my honorable mentions first because I feel like those are okay. Yeah, let's those do are that. interesting people. You know. I've got with so my my honorable mentions, and, and these are let's just you know notwithstanding these are just people who are hard to kill or just won't die. So I don't really agree with all their politics, all this kind of stuff. So that being said, right. I got two awesome honorable mentions, uh, three really. Leon Trotsky, who is obviously Lenin's right hand man. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if you guys have ever read his story. Yep. Taking him off my list. Yeah. Uh, oh, was he one of yours? Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <bro. laughs> But, uh, so after Lyndon died, he was obviously kicked out of the Communist Party. Um, 
and Stalin, who became, you know, the world's most prolific killer, uh, decided, hey, man, you know, Trotsky, you got to die. So Trotsky was like, you know, to hell with this, I'm going to pop smoke and go to Mexico because it's warm and people aren't trying to murk me down there. So he goes down to Mexico City. Uh, this dude named Ramon Mercator, you know, after the Mercator line, I'm guessing, uh, who was an assassin working for Stalin, decided he was going to go and kill Trotsky. So he shows up. And they're in this little cantina doing the deal. Trotsky's eating. His his uh, bodyguards are outside. Mercator does what I would assume is a very easy way to kill somebody. And buries an ice axe, which I just want to point out. Where did you get an ice axe in Mexico City? But buries an ice axe to the hilt in this guy's skull. Nice. Trotsky, mm-hmm. being the Russian he is, just gets pissed. Stands up and literally beats this guy near to death before his bodyguards can get him because they hear the commotion. I don't know where the hell they were a few minutes ago. And beats this guy nearly to death and then helps subdue uh, Mercator. And they take Trotsky to the hospital. Now, you can't say guys who refuse to die because Trotsky did end up dying in the hospital after they removed the axe because, you know, brain surgery back in the, well, I guess this was the 20s, the 30s. You know probably wasn't that advanced so yeah he died mm. in the oh, hospital damn yeah but i just think that's an bad. ice pick like, ice axe you said ice axe oh, an ice pick ice axe Fuck. yeah damn. yeah <laughs> if you've never seen one it's like it's like four and a half inches of steel just buried in this yeah. dude's noggin mm. so that I, I think that's pretty wild and then I also got John Capes. Does anybody else have John Capes? Nope. No. John Capes. Oh, so John Capes. He made his his round. He's been he's been on the internet for a while, but um, John Capes. What a guy. Uh, World War Two. You know he was doing his deal. He was actually a Navy boiler uh, boiler technician. Was on a sub, getting transported between two islands in uh, uh, the Mediterranean. Um, was he was actually just a passenger. Sub got hit. Sub went down. When the sub went down, it was down to two hundred and seventy feet. No one's ever su- survived at that depth, right? So, uh, Capes, who was an ever loving badass, um, he thinks they 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 hit a uh, sea mine because it kind of happened suddenly. Threw people all around. Had to crawl over dead bodies to get to the front. He's over here taking shots from his rum bottle. This is not a joke. This is his his exact story. He's taking shots from his rum bottle the whole time. He's like searching for survivors in this, and it's only him and three other guys, right? So he loads them up. He gets them all into the uh, uh, right, right into the uh, the spout, I guess you will, to uh, uh, you know release the pressure and let them swim to the surface. They have these little uh, oxygen masks that go on there, but they're not meant to go that deep. They're only meant to go to a hundred feet, not two hundred and seventy uh, feet deep. Which, for those of you who don't know, the pressures in there will literally crush anything. It'll just it just crushes it. So things that aren't designed to go that deep, it's like wearing a wearing a dive watch that's rated for thirty feet and going down to hundred feet. It's gonna break your watch. You know, mm. it's gonna force water in. It's it's gonna it's gonna completely jack it up. Well, this guy is over here taking shots from his rum bottle, doing his deal. Gets all all, all three other people you know ready to go, and he's like, all right, let's go, boys. Hand, hands off a couple of shots of of, uh, of rum takes his last shot from his quote-unquote blitz bottle and opens up the door, floods the whole compartment, sends everybody else out before him, and then he just starts swimming to the surface, right? Jesus. Never... So, everyone at this point... It's, this thing was called a rubber lung, by the way, and it's it's not... It, I looked up a picture of it. It looks sketchy, and it's at its base. At its best. The David Submarine Escape Apparatus. But, um, when he gets to the surface, he sees that he's miles from land, but he can see star swimming, star swimming. Well, he ends up blacking out. He, nobody else is around him. He realizes nobody else has made it. So he, he swims to his land. He blacks out. He gets picked up on the, on the shoreline. Um, and he ends up for the next 18 months going house to house to, uh, uh, in Italy being hidden. Right, he ends up losing seventy pounds, dyed his hair black in order to blend in better, and gets picked up in like nineteen forty four, 
uh, by the Royal Navy, and they end up taking him back home. Well, they completely 100% doubt his entire story because they're like, first off, you're not on the passenger manifest. Like, what happened? He goes, he goes, well, no, I was, I was a passenger. Like, like I wouldn't, I shouldn't be on any manifest. And he was like, well, they're like, well, where did he go? And he was like, it's down there. He's like, I remember it was 270 feet. Like, I remember that vividly. Like, you can't stop me from thinking that. Everybody was like, no, this definitely didn't happen. And they wrote him off. He ended up dying in 1984. What sucks is in 1997, they found it. They found the sub. At 270 feet, they swam in, and the Man. first thing sitting right there is an empty bottle of rum. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Ain't that awesome? But That's that fucking is wild. wild. Dude, wild, wild guy, man. Wild guy. In 18 months, you know, after after surviving that, and then you have to go 18 months. What? Yeah, wow. on the run. In yeah, on the Italy. run in Italy. Yeah. Not a fan of Italy. Damn. I'd rather for, go to France. For my honorable, eh, honorable mentions, that was difficult to say for some reason. I've actually got a military will for one of them. But uh, this dude's name, this crazy motherfucker, his name was Keith Campbell. Or Caldwell. Sorry. Oh, yeah. And, uh... What did Keith Caldwell do to end up on my list? So, to me, it's three things. First off, he was flying in World War I as a pilot. And in the mm-hmm. middle of combat, he ended up clipping the wings of an enemy fighter. So this guy was close enough to the enemy that he clipped the wing. Sheared off the left wing of his aircraft. Jesus. As a result, his aircraft started going into a flat spin. So he was just like, damn. Something to get the plane to stop spinning. So this guy decided the only thing to do was to climb onto his right wing and then putting all of his weight on his right wing and using his left hand on the joystick, safely flattened out his plane and then flew it, not glided, flew it down and then jumped off of it just before it crashed on the airstrip. What a guy. Shit. What a guy. Yeah. that's What a guy. That's awesome. That's metal. That's metal as fuck. Like, that's me- I saw that I- and I was just like, that's cool. That's really cool. That's wild. Dude, Gotta that's, bring that su- up. that's super lit. I... I don't know if I would ever think of that. Oh, God, no. Um, Especially on those paper planes they had back then. It was just stretched canvas over Mm. balls. Dude, those things were wild. And just real quick, I'm going to digress. The mechanics of the the guns on those things, like the the rounds literally shot between the propellers. If the timing was off, you're fucked. That's incredible. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Just imagine shearing off your propellers. You're like, I got him. I'm going down. Yeah, can you imagine (laughs) that? Like if the timing just happens to be a little off. And all of a sudden, you're starting to shoot through your propeller. You would know it instantly. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Um, for my oh. second one, it is a, a lady named Betty Lou Oliver. Betty. And Betty Lou Oliver had a horrible day back in 1945. Oh. Just an absolutely horrible day. This poor lady was an elevator operator in the Empire State Building. Oh, and shit. on this day in 1945, a plane crashed into the Empire State Building just a floor above her. Uh, the debris and everything that ended up going into the cable car just fucked her up, broke a bunch of bones, knocked her unconscious for a little bit, and she ended up getting some pretty severe burns, too. Well, she was pulled from the elevator by rescuers. They managed to get the rubble off her, they pulled her out, and they started assessing her injuries, and like, we need to get her down now, or we might lose her. So they put her in the other remaining cable car, and they were going to start bringing her down. Well, as they're bringing her down in that elevator, the cable snapped, and she plummeted 75 feet down to the ground. Fuck. She lived. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And not only did she live, but five months later, once they got everything repaired and the elevators were good to go, she came back to her position and went right back to working in the elevator. <laughs> nope. No way. <laughs> yep. Nope. Was was that the B-25 that hit the uh, I think so. The Empire State Building in 1945? Because, yeah, wasn't there one? Because it got lost in the fog. Maybe. I didn't look up the specifics of the plane. I just okay. I saw that story and I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I mean, okay. I, I honestly don't know. I know oh, one. Okay. Did, you're right. B twenty five did hit, but I'm not sure if it was that one. Yeah, I believe that. Way mm. back in the day. Yeah. So, I have two honorable mentions as well. Both of mine actually revolve around aircraft as well. Um, nice. So, you guys ever heard of Second Lieutenant Owen J. Baggett? Can't say that I have. <laughs> no. All no. right. So he was in the Seventh Bomber Group based out of British India in the Second World War, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so 1943, stationed in British India, he's taking part in a bombing campaign over Burma against the Japanese. Um, 
he was flying, I guess, I think he's in a, a B-24. Um, so basically, they're, they're flying over. They're getting engaged by zeros and stuff. Uh, his plane is getting shot down, and he has to bail out. And this guy is like, I'm not going down without a fight. Fucking <laughs> zero is flying close to him because the Japanese would shoot pilots or crew in the air when they saw parachutes. Yeah, so Baggett got the canopy open. He pulls his fucking 45 out, fires four rounds of the pilot, plane goes down. Only man accredited with killing another airman <laughs> in mid-air combat. I have heard that. What? I did not know his name. There's, I think there, there, I don't know if it's the actual picture, if it's a fake one, but there is like a gun sight photo where you see a guy in a parachute and a zero coming by. It might not be a zero, but a Japanese aircraft with the canopy open, and the dude's got his one arm stretched out with a 45 in it, just banging away. Um, that is so. He was subsequently so captured by the Japanese when he landed, but you know, he's a prisoner of war for the rest of the time. Uh, he, um, he, he just, lived until uh, 2006. I just. Oh. But yeah. Isn't that he, fucking crazy? Just banging he, away. He died in 2006. <laughs> what yeah. a guy. Damn. Yeah, he was uh, 85 old. So. Wow. Yeah, like I said, he was you know, a prisoner can, of war. Can you imagine? The, the end. Yeah. Can, can you just imagine that bar saying, like, yeah, it's just me. I shot a zero down. Yeah. And, then, and then everybody's like, no. No, you didn't. Like, well, there's like, a picture of like, it. <laughs> yeah, well. One, there's a picture back in the day when there was only like four cameras in the entirety of the world, and then yeah. two, like, you know, it's like, nah, man, I've got, I've got medals for this. Yeah, like, no, this is on, this is on record. I, I choose to believe it because it's a better story. As do I. I think it's a phenomenal story. I choose to believe that as well. Um, my second that one is, awesome. is also a lady. Um, her name is Vesna Vulovic. I'm sure I butchered that. I'm sorry. Uh, she was a Serbian flight attendant who holds the Guinness World Record for surviving the highest fall without a parachute. Ooh. She fell. No way. 300, or I'm sorry, she fell 33,330 feet or 6.31 miles and survived. Ooh. Uh, so basically, she was a flight attendant on a Serbian airline, right? Uh, 70s, a lot of airplane hijackings, a lot of terrorism in the skies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, JAT flight 367 on 26 January uh, had a briefcase bomb explode in the luggage compartment. Basically, she got ejected out of it and was in free fall. She's the only survivor of this. Everybody else died. Um, Fuck. Yeah. She, <laughs> she fell. I, I think, I don't remember if it was, I'm trying to, I remember hearing about this before, but it was something like she, she landed in like a freshly plowed field or something, and that's what saved her was the freshly okay. turned to earth. Um, but yeah, she ended up, uh, she ended up, what, fracturing her skull, three broken vertebrae, yeah. broke both legs, bunch of ribs, fractured pelvis. Um, but then she continued to work for the airline, and she actually wanted to go back to being a flight attendant, but she was kind of a local celebrity after that, and um, they've made her a desk jockey, and I guess she did bad survivor's guilt and died by herself in 2016, but still. Damn. 30 plus thousand feet just in free fall? She... Like, what's what's terminal velocity? Like, so how long would that take her to fall? 88... From 33,000 feet. 88.6 miles per hour, I believe. Terminal so velocity, she's I... 6.3 miles up. Maybe I'll do some quick math because I'm stupid. Hang on, stand by. Terminal velocity for people for a human is... About 200 kilometers an hour, 120 miles an hour, right? Damn, I was way and off. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it only takes, what is it? Like, I want to say it's like 190 feet for you to hit terminal velocity. Yeah. Like, it's fast. Yeah. It's fast. Also, at that altitude, I'm surprised she didn't pass out. Uh, she, I mean, she may have on the way down. Probably, yeah. Um, yeah, so she, uh, she got lucky, and when it happened, they were over this village in Czechoslovakia, and uh, one of the guys that found her had actually been a combat medic in World War II and kept her alive Damn. until they could get her to a hospital. Dude, what yeah, a guy. Yeah. How, how awesome is that? So, yeah. so according to the interwebs, you hit terminal velocity in about 12 seconds, and they you fall in about 45, uh, four, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was way off. It was uh, 450 meters, about 1,500 feet. So, but that's in the spread eagle position. Right. 
If so, you get okay, blown so out of a, of a plane. Yeah. Well, I'm reading more about her, and I guess she had low blood pressure. Um, so she actually out. passed out as soon as she got sucked out of the plane. Oh, so uh, she's right which, Yeah, which helped her yeah. heart not exploding on impact. Um, and I was incorrect. She didn't land in a plowed field. She landed on an angle on a snow-covered mountainside. So the snow and the angle that she hit at, I guess, is what saved her life. Wowzers. Yeah. Wowzers. Take that, yeah. Internet, for all of us admitting our mistakes and fixing them on, on in one go. About that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely insane. Get ahead of the people. But so, yeah. That's fucking wild. Right? That's pretty cool, man. I'm Good for her. Yeah. So, I'm going to go ahead and kick things off with my mainstay dude. And we, yeah. we've all talked about him, but a lot of people haven't heard of him. And that is, and, and, and I know, uh, 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 Tyler, you're going to you're gonna correct me when I say this. Simo Haya? I think that's right. Yeah. Is that right? Pretty sure that's right. Simo Haya? You know, I don't speak Finnish. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Simo Haya? Stop. I'm just so good. So... This guy was 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 super cool. Um, he was nicknamed the White Death, and it's metal as fuck, by the way. It's so metal. Isn't that metal? And so he's a, he's this little Finnish guy, um, super decorated from the war. Uh, come to find out, he it, he didn't die until two thousand and two, ninety six yeah. years old. Yeah. Damn. And that let's remember that after after we go through all this. So. Uh, the the Red Army, I'm sorry, called him uh, the White Death. The locals just called him Simuna because it was it was pretty easy to pronounce apparently for them. Simuna, uh, the Red Army. That when the other side gives you the nickname the White Death, that's super super cool. So he joined uh, for compulsory service. I think it was like uh, age 17. Um, you always have to do that, uh, and. He sir he, he he got done with some shooting competitions. He was pretty good. Come to find out that he really liked shooting without a scope. He didn't really like, um, he didn't really like uh, uh how the scopes worked. He didn't like um them fogging up because you know this is this is back in the day. I think the scope technology was isn't what it is today. Um, no, so he's he just always liked, yeah, he he liked using iron sights. He really did, and he and he used this. It's literally a knockoff Mosin Nagant. Um, yep. Which is, I think, even cooler. It was, it was a finished knockoff, which is, you know, good for him. It's called a uh, a Seiko M28 Tac-30, um, which, if if you want to make, make sense of that, you go ahead. Um, but, yeah, apparently he was a super unimpressive guy. Didn't like uh, hogging the spotlight. Anytime he's in pictures, he liked to stand in the back. Um, he did have a really cool, uh, story from his basic training days where he hit a target 150 meters away. For those of you who aren't good at math, it's about 500 feet, uh, roughly, um, 16 times in a row with a bolt action rifle that only holds, I I don't even know, I think it's like eight shots or something like that. Uh, but he hit it 16 times in just one minute, which was super impressive. Everybody was like, man, that is... Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Each cartridge had to be manually fed. Um, oh, wow. With a magazine that held held five cartridges. So, basically, he would manually feed one, shoot, manually feed one, shoot, manually feed one, that's shoot. It's fucking speed right there, dude. Yeah, no, I, this guy this guy likes his gun. So, fast forward, Russia invades 1938. They're doing whatever the Russians do. Um, but the one thing that the Russians always counted on was being good at winter. The one thing they don't count on are the Finns, who live right next door, also being badass winter folk. So the Russians invaded. They didn't actually have any white camouflage gear. Because um, Stalin, in his infinite wisdom, had murked all the uh, military experts um, the in the early purge. purges. Yep. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. everything was super disorganized. They didn't have, they had like these, like olive drab in the middle of Finland where everything is white. So that made life pretty easy for, uh, for Simo. So Simo was like, you know what? Let's do this. I grew up here. I know what I'm doing. Let's get it on. He puts on some white camouflage. He, he does, he, he thinks things through a little bit. And he also, you know, uh, learns a few hard lessons. He 
starts murking people. And for the next hundred days, he ends up killing about five people a day. With, I mean, this isn't like he's like not shooting every day, but he ends up killing about 500 dudes in a hundred days in a winter. Uh, from 1939 to 1940. Mm. And he's, he peaked at 25 kills in a day. Um, which is, yeah, which is, you know, kind of cool. That's a lot of killing, man. That's a lot of killing. Fuck yeah, that is like, a, that's lot a lot of killing. killing. He learned things like, well, he learned one, one trick re- really well, uh, putting snow in his mouth to hide the, uh, that uh, breath, the breath, to hide his breath coming mm-hmm. out in the, in the winter. He learned that after he got spotted and the Russians were so terrified of him that instead of going after him, they, uh, called in an artillery strike on the wood line he was in. And uh, shelled it for like two hours. Um, Simo was actually unhurt. Two hours. Two hours. They shelled this. The thing. Russians like their artillery, bro. Yeah. I'm just this saying, dude. Like, okay, I've I've been involved in like quote unquote rocket attack, just shitty yeah. mortars. Fucking couldn't hit the broadside of a barn for like yeah. minutes. And honestly, that sucks. It's it's nerve wracking as fuck. Like it's it's not a pleasant experience at all. <laughs> two hours. Two hours, they hit him with legit artillery. Yeah. Fuck. Just him. Just him. They knew he was a lone sniper. Like they the knew who this guy was, shit. and they saw his breath. So Fuck. he started putting snow in his mouth. He was like, "Ah, oh, hell with this." Um. Remember how I said he didn't like scopes? Kept watch comrades get smoked because a scope has about a two inch relief, so they have to keep their head up a little bit further when they're shooting, right? Mm-hmm. Which exposes a little more of their face, which you know you can't white out your face. With, with camouflage, so he was closer down. He was a lot harder to spot when he comes to that. He would also pack down the snow in front of his rifle um, so that when he shot, it wouldn't kick up the powder because this yep. is Finland, man. This is prime pow, dude. And for those of you that haven't lived out west, it's it's literally like flour. Like, you could blow on the snow mm-hmm. and it'll just yeah, go literally, everywhere. literally powdered. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's like sugar. It's almost, it's almost like a, a powdered sugar. Feet and like. feet of powder. Yeah, and it's oh, if they had better mountains, that'd be such a pretty low place to to ski. But but you know, as we all know, Norway's the better better option. So this dude, I'm this dude, it. he's he's like, all mm-hmm. right, let's let's go uh, uh, do what we do. He's he's killing, he's taking people out, he's doing his deal. Well, the Red Army got um, got lucky, and they ended up uh, shooting him in the face. Uh, oh wow, that one took a, a turn. Yeah, it did. It did. Well, this Holy is shit. a guy who doesn't die. Remember, remember, I told you he lived to be ninety six. Yeah. They shot him in the face with an exploding bullet. Yep. Yeah. So right. it must have been like one of their like anti tank rounds or some shit, like one of those anti tank rifles they used back in the day, like, a, like an HE round or something. <laughs> smacked him in the cheek. Yeah, dude. So <laughs> his whole face explodes. You'd see pictures of him. You now you oh, yeah. see why it's so jacked up. Like you can tell he definitely got hit. Now, yeah, I want to point something out. His face is fucked up. Yeah. It was estimated that he shot 500 people. He himself confirmed that uh, he was credited with 500 people. 542 is actually what he was credited with. But he himself, he's like, no, I only killed 259. Just 259 <laughs> dudes. Because if he didn't walk up to the body and see the dead guy, he didn't count it. Yeah. <laughs> and and also, he kept this in he kept a book. He called it his sin list. Yeah. Nice. So Homie takes an exploding bullet to the face. I'm talking straight to the face. Knocks him out cold, obviously. He's half of his face is laying down. So much so that the red army's like, that's the white death. We just smoked the white death. Take his body, put it in the mass grave, and they just keep rolling on with their lives. Couple couple days, uh a little while later. Couple dudes uh, sent out from his command were sent to find him. Uh, they come out, they find the the mass graves. They're getting ready to leave, and they see a leg twitch. And they end up pulling on this leg. They're like, "Hey, at least mm. we can save one." It's the White Death, refusing to die with half of his damn head gone. So they try to rebuild it. It's nineteen like thirty eight in Finland. If you if you end up looking at a picture of this guy, you can tell what side of his face got jacked up. Like you, you, oh, yeah. you just know. Yeah. You have most of his lower jaws gone, uh, most of his left cheeks gone, his his upper jaw had to be removed. Um, his it, he's it took him fourteen months to get back 
to, to being okay 26 surgeries later. Damn. And he he was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. You're right. You know, I'll, I'll sit this one out. So he did. And then uh, in 1941, he was like, actually, I'm ready to rock and roll again. Let's do this. And he kept trying to apply to get back in the war, and they wouldn't let him, um, obviously, for his injuries. But, you know, it is what it is. But, man, taking an exploding bullet to the face. And then he's going to go ahead and live to be 96. Yep. Now, was this the guy that did everything on skis, jacked up on, was it Perkinton or a.k.a. Meth? Oh, no. No! uh, Oh, okay. That was the Norwegian dude. Okay, yeah, that guy. Yeah. That guy was, okay, yeah, because he was on the, he was on that special forces raid, right? On the, on the heavy water plant? Yeah, the heavy water. Yeah, and so he, he ended up taking, what was it, he, he, he was starving, and so he ended mm-hmm. up, he was like so he ended up taking some, he was like I'll just take a handful of these pills don't really know what they do and it was like straight meth and he blacked out for like three days and he skied like three hundred and sixty <laughs> miles or something like that yeah yeah that, yeah, I, that guy yeah I, I just I'm making up I those gonna... numbers but he did black out skiing an insane distance oh yeah I just thought I was gonna yeah. come into this uh, kind of in the dark on who you guys were were gonna talk about that way I could learn along with the audience but uh yeah i when i when you started talking about this i was like oh shit is this that guy no that guy man i want to look him up now uh norwegian dude meth skiing google search (laughs) norwegian dude (laughs) meth skiing you're probably gonna get like the 1980 olympics got it right here (laughs) the first dude that pops up amo oh i can't pronounce that name quick quivin oh please try i just want to hear you try yeah so he was on ski patrol with several other he was finished he uh three days in the mission man yeah so he escaped the soviets was injured by a landmine laid in a ditch for a week uh waiting for help yeah and then he skied 250 miles yeah cross country by himself (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> where his heart rate was measured at 200 beats per minute. And he weighed He was just staying ahead of the pounds. Soviets, too. Yeah, dude. I remember seeing a picture of that guy with his eyes just, like, wide-ass open. And some dude's like, that's the face of a man that saw God and laughed. <laughs> yeah. He ended up surviving that peacefully at the, age of 19, uh, at the age of 71. Why is he not in this episode? <laughs> Damn. I forgot about that. What a guy. World's shortest Wikipedia page, but wow, that's amazing. He weighed 94 pounds. He skied 250 miles. I mean, you eat a handful of meth, I'm pretty sure you can. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. That's amazing. That's that's all I've got. And, uh, but, man, can you imagine? You know what? Through, I'm going to say this. You know, a lot of things like, through all things, through, was it through Jesus, all things are possible. I'm starting to believe that through meth, Pretty much anything's in impo- pretty anything's possible. Yeah, it's not. That's you're not, not wrong about that. I mean, no, you're not. You're not incorrect about that. The Blitzkrieg. Please do not do meth. Yep. <laughs> Look at the yeah. Germans. Please don't do meth. Let's just add that. Please don't do meth. <laughs> please, please. God. Or if you do decide to do meth, know that that's on you, not on us. We did not tell yeah. you to do meth. No, we are not here to tell you right. to do meth ever. <laughs> do not <laughs> condone that action. No. You got? Oh, you cool if I jump in and get go ahead, man? Dog, that's that's my all guy? I had. All right. Cool. Well, that was fun, man. I'm, that was, I'm still tripping on the fact that uh, he was thrown to a mass grave and just kind of had it like leg twitch. Yeah, no, so just, they piled bodies on top of him, and then all they could see was his leg, and they just saw it twitching, and they were like, "Yeah, well, let's pull that leg out of this mass grave and see what happens." Fuck. Oh, this guy's missing yeah. half his face. Missing half his fucking face. Yeah. So, I was uh, I was looking into a couple different people, um, and one of the ones I wanted to touch on was the. Uh, the rugby team from Argentina that crashed in the Andes. Oh, yeah. Um, I really wanted to do that, but Alive, at the same right? time, I decided that that right there is going to be an entire episode because that story needs to be told. It is yeah, incredible. I got that book somewhere. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah I've got the book. Uh, the movie actually was yeah, not alive, bad. Right? Um, yeah, live. It was, it was pretty yeah. good. Um, actually, I think that's the only Ethan Hawke movie where he doesn't die. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the only one where Ethan Hawke doesn't die. Does Ethan Hawke die in all his movies? Pretty much, yeah. Did he die? I keep Ethan Hawke's in it. Spoiler alert. It's like Sean Bean, dude. 
Can I oh, ask that? Yeah. Did, did he die in Avengers? In what? Ethan Hawke in Avengers? Yeah, isn't he the Green Arrow? No, dude, that's uh, um, Green Arrow's DC, um, Hawkeye, but that's uh, Jeremy oh. Rayner. Yeah, Jeremy Rayner. Was a oh. Oh. No, I'm the, sorry. The Locker documentary. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Ethan. Yeah. Oh. So, fun fact, Ethan Hawke, there's a, there's a webpage dedicated to his movie deaths. No way. <laughs> yeah, he's died in, let's see, one, two, three, four. Ten movies? Okay. See, he dies killed a lot. Movies? That's what he does. Yeah, he dies a lot. <laughs> Pretty good at it. Yeah, Ethan Hawke. Okay, so I don't think that's the only one where he didn't die. God, he gets shot in, uh, like, every movie. Oh, yeah, dude. He goes down. So oh, hard. Yeah. Um, but... I uh, so I decided to pass on the, the rugby team and their story, and I, I really want to come back to that in the future and, and like do a do whole episode well. on That's that. That's a good one. Let's do um, but in keeping with mountains, which are very near and dear to my heart, and especially one mountain in particular that I still plan on going for before I'm 45 is Mount Everest. Um, yeah. And the guy I specifically want to talk about was a man named, his birth name was Seaborn Beck Weathers, but he just went by the name of Beck Weathers. Good old man from the heart of Texas. That's a great first name. Yeah, Beck Weathers, man. Beck Weathers from Texas, dude. That is a yep. fucking name right there. Uh, Beck Weathers was an American pathologist, um, born in 1946, and in 1996, he decided that he was going to go for Mount Everest. Uh, I don't know why. Well, up to this point, he had done a couple big mountains, but nothing anywhere near Everest. He he was part of the burgeoning commercialism of Mount Everest and guiding. Uh, he was one of those guys that, because he could afford it, he was going to do it. Mm. And it just so happens that on the adventure that Beck Weathers went on to go up Everest, he was part of the... Um, adventure consultants crew out of New Zealand led by Rob Hall and John Krakauer, the world famous outdoor journalist, uh, personal favorite writer of mine, also happened to be on that trip, also in the adventure consultants crew. So luckily, if you want to say that, we have a firsthand account of what became known as the disaster of 1996. Mm. Long story short, a lot of people were pushing the commercialization. It was getting really big on Mount Everest, and way too many people were pushing for the same day they should have pushed, and they didn't really have the best weather pattern, like uh, weather forecasting at that time for that area because, I mean, the mountain creates its own weather. Let's just go ahead and accept that. Like, it does. Like, sure. you can see a weather forecast and know ain't mean shit for the mountain. Well, right. Beck Weathers was going up the mountain he was doing a great job and they get to what's known as the balcony which is at 27,500 feet it's fucking up there and he he two years prior to that had uh, surgery done on his eyes and the altitude and the the snow was starting to affect that so we started losing his vision and oh. he he basically was told like he kind of argued a little bit but he was told you can't go any further if right. your eyes clear up, then jump back in the queue and continue up. But if they don't, you're going to have to go back down. Now, his guide at the time, Rob Hall, rest in peace, Rob Hall, he, uh, he told him, wait until I come back, and when I come back, we'll go down together. One of the, the dangerous things that happens at that altitude is known as um, a subdermal, he uh, subdermal hematoma, which is basically where your brain starts to swell. Right. And... He was having that issue along with his eyes, so his thoughts weren't there. He was starting to run out of oxygen on his tank. He wasn't really thinking clearly, and numerous people went past Beck Weathers, and they were like, hey, Beck, you good? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just waiting for Rob. Like, don't worry about it. Um, I'm going to go down with Rob. The issue was Rob was at 29,000 feet with another man named Doug Hansen who was dying. So Rob Hall and Doug Hansen were on the top of the mountain. Beck is at 27,500 and has no way of communicating with Rob. Oh. So by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he's already been there for almost three hours above on the balcony. Now, the crazy thing about this is the death zone on Mount Everest is at 27,000 feet, which means that once you go over 27,000 feet, your body literally starts to die. Yeah. It just, 
you got to get up and get down. It is horrendous. Like it, it's the suffer zone. It's the death zone for a reason. Well, yeah. a storm comes in at three, and at the time it was the worst storm. I think it still is the worst storm that has ever hit Everest. And there are people scattered on this mountain now. Beck is by himself. Rob Hall, the guide, and this other client, Doug Hansen, are at the top, and they're stuck. Um, Doug Hansen ends up dying at that time, and Rob Hall ends up dying later, which, again, is a story that if you guys are interested in, we could definitely get into later. I love the story. Yeah. And so they're, they're gone, and the storm is coming in, and Beck is, again, down at 27.5, just getting hammered, and one of the people from another expedition crew, the Mountain Madness crew, they're coming down. They see him, and they're like, Beck, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm waiting on Rob. And they're like, we haven't heard from Rob, man. Like, you got to come with us. And he's like, okay. So now at this point, he's been in the death zone for about four and a half hours. He's fucking blind. And he has no idea where his guide is. So he grabs on to this guy. uh, I want to say his name was Michael. And they start going down. And as they're going down, the storm just gets fucking horrendous. Like, whiteout blizzard. The wind is just insane, and they have to hunker down behind a rock. That's it, a rock out in the middle of this this area. I want to say flat, but just this barren area where they're just getting decimated. And it was him, this woman named Caroline, who was with the Mountain Madness, and a woman named Yakusua, who was, this was going to be her seventh summit. She actually ran down. She ran into issues as well. So now these three people are stuck there. And Yakusua is dying. They thought Caroline was dead, and Beck is dying. So they had to make an executive decision the guys that were able to go were like look we're going to take caroline down we'll come back for you they right. just, they have to do that everyone's exhausted so they leave beck at like 273 at this point so just below the balcony and they head back down to camp 4 by the time they got to camp 4 the storm was just horrendous there was absolutely no way they were getting back up to him one of the guys from mountain madness a dude named anatoly a russian guy who mm. actually climbed the whole thing without oxygen which I what? feel some kind of fucking way about. If you're guiding, use oxygen, but whatever. He's Russian. He goes out to try to find him. He gets lost, and he manages to stagger back eventually, and he's just like, they're gone. They're fucking gone. So that's it. They have to wait until the storm clears. So the very next morning at 5 o'clock, so now we're talking 18 hours that Beck Weathers has been up in the balcony in the death zone. He wakes up out of nowhere. He wakes up. His nose is black. His cheeks are black from frostbite. His hands are literally frozen solid. And something wakes him up, and he just starts walking down the mountain. Like, in his Texas mind, he was just like, look, I went up it. I'm going to have to go down it. And at 6.30 in the morning, Beck Weathers comes stumbling into fucking camp. And a guy just happened to hear someone groaning and turns and sees this literally almost frozen solid man just come walking into camp. Yeah, it's fucking wild, right? So he spent an entire night in a blizzard in the death zone and literally walked back into camp. I wish this is where it ended, but, dude, after surviving that, like, that's that's already pretty incredible to me. He he needed to get the fuck off the mountain. There's no denying that. you got to get him off the mountain. And I want to say that Camp 4 is somewhere around 21,000. So he's at 21,000 feet. And they, they start getting him some... Dexamestatros, I think that's what it's called, to to basically get his heart rate going again and stuff like that. And then they have to start literally thawing his fucking hands out. Like, Jesus they have to. Christ, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just a thing. So what they do is they put it in warm water. Well, he starts to crash. Like, he's going oh. out. So they contact his wife back in Texas, and she's just like, oh, no, we're getting my husband home. Like, fuck this. So she starts calling the Nepalese embassy, and she's just like, you got to get my husband off that mountain and get him home. And they were just like, but... We can't. Like, there's no way. He's going to have to come down. We can't get a pilot up that high. Well, one of the pilots just so happened to hear this conversation and was like, I can do it. Like, I, <laughs> I, I could fly a helicopter that high. Here so, yeah. So they make the initial flight and they start having problems at like 19,000. Like, helicopters are not meant to go that fucking high. No. Yeah. So the pilot comes back, kicks his co-pilot out, and then has him take out all the seats and the shit that's not bolted to the aircraft and was like, just make it as light as possible. Then this pilot flies back up and sketchily, I mean, like, super sketchily lands it at 21,000. They load Beck Weathers onto the aircraft, and then essentially the pilot picks up the helicopter enough to get it over the edge of the coal right there, and then until they had enough lift on the rotor, slid down, basically bouncing off the side of the mountain, trying to get enough air 
to get this thing to fly. And eventually Jesus. they did. Yeah, so now Beckweathers is at this point, survived the death zone all night by himself, walked back into camp, started thawing out his hands, and is now being emergency airlifted back to Kathmandu. One of the cool things about this area is that where he was at, we're talking like maybe negative 15 degrees, maybe less, like wicked fucking cold. He's frozen solid. Started thawing out, and then Kathmandu was like low 60s. Like you start your hike at Everest in like shorts and a sweater. So he, two things here blew my fucking mind. One, zero deacclimatization. Like he did not go from 19,000 down to around seven like he was supposed to. He went straight down, literally sliding down the fucking mountain in a helicopter. And on top of that, went from around negative 15 degrees to 60 while his hands were still frozen. Which means this poor pilot the entire time had this Texan in his fucking helicopter screaming bloody murder while his hands and arms and cheeks were literally splitting open while they were thawing. Oh, my God. Beckweather survived. Not only did he survive, he wrote a book and continued practicing medicine until 2013. I'm looking at pictures of him right now. You can't kill a Texan, bro. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, For a man that almost died, on, yeah. I mean, you can see you can see the pictures of his, of his black nose and his oh, black yeah. cheeks. Oh yeah, man. Like we're talking, yeah. like they they actually had to amputate his nose and they rebuilt it with like ear cartilage and stuff. Like he's he had his right arm amputated between his elbow and the wrist. Most of his fingers and his thumb on his left hand were amputated as well. Right. Like he's he is fucked up, but he's alive, man. And holy shit, like if. if <sighs> The, the, the account of it in Into Thin Air is incredible. Like, it's so yeah. good because John Krakauer, who wrote it, didn't really like Beck Weathers at first. He was everything that he hated about the commercialization of Everest, but he learned to love him. He's just a great personality. And then uh, even the movie Everest did a really good job of portraying it and, like, how fucked up he was. But, yeah, man, this dude walked down Everest and then rode slash flew in a helicopter back to Kathmandu and got home. And uh, as far as I know, he's still alive today. Wow. Some people's kids, dude. That's insane. That's, right? That's I, fucking impressive. Shout out to yeah, the Elo pilot for being like, we're going to make it happen. But, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah that's... What? I've watched videos of pilots trying to trying to do that now in modern aircraft. And this was in 1996. So, I mean, it's still pretty good. It's just they still struggle at like oh, yeah. 17 to 18. And this guy went to 21. Curious. What was he flying? I want to say know? it was a... It was a bell. Dude, I'm, uh, I'm looking at this, and it just looks like an Indian something. I'm, I, yeah. It, Nothing it special, looks, man. It looks sketchy. It looks sketchy. I'm, I'm going to give it a Google, but oh, my God. Yeah, I'm Google. I'm just curious what, what the helicopter was. Beckweather's helicopter risky. But, um, oh, yeah. It's just a... Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what that is, but it's just a... Yeah, it's just like a... Yeah, you see a that? A bell helicopter. Yeah, yeah and a, a lot of people unfortunately passed on an expedition um it was a like a lot of people die on everest it's just a fact uh it's a very dangerous mountain but in this instance they lost 11 people in one night that hasn't happened since it it was horrible it's an incredibly harrowing story of just absolute survival for the people that made it um and it's extreme extreme loss for the people that died actually i'm going to take a real quick digression right here so in 2018, I went and did a course at Knowles for a semester, the National Outdoor Leadership School. Mm-hmm. And during the climbing section, one of our climbing instructors was a 72-year-old dude named Cody Paulson. And I was just having to talk to him. Just finished reading Into the Air or Into Thin Air for like the third time. And uh, mm-hmm. I put the book down and he was like, oh, you like that story? And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, did you know I was one of the guys that actually trained Scott Fisher, who was the guide for Mountain Madness, who ended up dying on the mountain. It's like, no fucking way. Like, what was he like? And he's like, you remind me a lot of him. I was like, don't say that. This guy died died on the mountain. But no, apparently this kid, he was a very, like, laid back. Like, he believed in guiding. If you you don't attempt Everest if you can't climb it yourself versus Rob Hall, who was more in the the market of, I'm going to help you get to the top. One way or another, you're going to summit. Fuck. Unfortunately, both of them died. Uh yeah. It's just a horrible, horribly sad story, especially for someone in my line of work. But surprisingly, I still want to go for it. No, I absolutely. No, I, if, if people weren't dying, I wouldn't want to go for it, I'll be honest. 
I would. Oh, I'd be so dead. I have so no desire to do that. Thanks, boys. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of walking <laughs> I don't want to do. Yeah. Well, no, I man. Enjoy um, that I've, shit. I've, Told Michelle, you know, I have until I'm 45 because after 45, your chances of dying just rise exponentially. So before I'm 45, I want to at least get to base camp, uh, see how it goes. You know, just go for it. I want to make. I I want to try it so bad. Fuck. That'd man. be dope. That'd be dope. Let me know. I, I will. Ooh, that'd be cool. Man, I don't even know if I can like follow that up now. Like, oh, you got it. You got this. Big digging. We got faith in you. I want to be right so. In tune with your story, don't even, don't even. That's just Texas, well, bro. That's all it is. Yeah, that's just Texas. Texas. Shit, that's oh, incredible, man. man. Like that's, yeah. that's See, fucking incredible. Some people's kids. Um, can you imagine? No, I can't imagine that. Oh, oh fuck that, dude. I don't want to. In Florida like... right now, and I feel cold because of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. Um, cool. So, for the final one. Um, I think I've, I've probably mentioned this guy before. I'm actually switching it up again, guys. I'm not doing one that we talked about before. I'm doing a different right. person now. Do it. Um, just because I came across him in another list, and I was like, oh, my God. Incredible story. Um, Joe Medicine Crow. <gasps> yes. Right? <laughs> I like he how everybody's is, immediately like, yeah! <laughs> he is was the last surviving war chief of the Crow Nation and the last surviving Plains Indian War Chief, right? Mm. But then in perspective, this guy was born in 1913. Woof. And he died in Fucking uh, rad. 2016, right? He so was 102, 102 years old, bro. Holy 102. shit. 102. He was like six months before his birthday. 102 Let, years old. Right? Let's let's put that in perspective. In 1913, you were still yep. doing... World War One just kicked off. So we got five planes. Another year huh? still. Yeah, 1914. Yeah. That was 1914. So, b- b- yeah, before the war. Like, so you're on the tail got... end of the Industrial Revolution. Like, Teddy Roosevelt. When was Teddy Roosevelt in office? Because uh, he was in office just you before You were still that, right? literally cranking a car to yeah. get it to start. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, Fuck. Teddy Roosevelt had just gotten out of office four years before this guy was born. Dear. So, Teddy God. Roosevelt is, what, still out in Africa doing his safaris and stuff? He's still putting um, down Indians. Yeah. So, God. what's cool about this guy is... Thinking that that was okay to go ahead and kill <laughs> right? indigenous peoples for their land, which is not okay, by the way. Just want to go and put, um, that, put that down. I said that <laughs> in a very, very uh, non-okay way, by the way, and it's I apologize okay. for that, but... <laughs> I knew what you are talking about. Yeah. Um, we should talk about that someday. Yeah, we should. I'm, like, obsessed with Native American culture right now and history and no. shit. Yes. Um, I just went to Crazy Horses Monument, like, three days ago in South Dakota. Super cool, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, but yeah. So Joe Medicine Crow, uh, born in 1913 on the Crow Indian Reservation in Montana. Um, this guy was just like he was just destined to be a war chief. Like it was in his blood. Um, he grew up hearing stories from his grandfather, who was a scout for George Custer before the Battle of Little Bighorn. So like he grew up listening to stories of like the Wild West and the Indian Wars in the seven, 60s and 70s, 1860s and 70s. Um, so yeah, uh, born in 1913, fast forward to his time in World War II. So 1943, he's working in a, um, he's working in like a shipyard in Washington state, helping the war effort. Um, and he enlists in the U S army and he served for two years in Europe. Um, and this is where he becomes the last war chief. So there's four criteria required to becoming a war chief. Um, and those are, number one is touching an enemy without killing him. So putting your hands on the enemy, but not killing him. Uh, number two, taking an enemy's weapon away from him. Uh, number three, leading a successful war party. And number four, stealing enemy horses. Right? Wow. So, okay. So just think about that. Stealing enemy horses? This is 1943-44 in Europe. Against the Nazis, who have tanks, yep. so well, not many horses being used. Yeah. I mean, Eastern Front, yes. Western Front, sure. not so much. I said the Germans were notorious for still using a lot of lot of horses yeah. during the war. Yeah, Eastern Front they used a lot. Huh. Uh, well, I guess even the, the Western Front they did too. But regardless, um, so yeah. So Joe Medicine Crow, nineteen forty four. Uh, he's in Europe. He's fighting it out with the Nazis. Um, 
to get his first criteria for this. It's late 44. Uh, I think they're coming against like the Siegfried line or something. So probably late 44, early 45, pushing into Germany. Um, he is tasked with leading a small team, a.k.a. a war party, into basically what is no man's land to retrieve some dynamite so they can blow a hole in this German defenses and they can push through into Germany. Um, so he takes a team of seven guys out, crosses this field under machine gun fire. They shouldn't have made it. They fucking made it. Got the explosives, blew the hole in the line. Nobody got hurt. Brought his war party back. So that's one form, right? So after they make it through the enemy lines, uh, he's ordered to flank this German position and he's going out in this flanking route. He finds a shortcut, decides to take this shortcut, uh, comes around a corner and runs full sprint into a German soldier. Right. Oof. Number two, touching the enemy without killing him. Right. So strips the German's gun away. Number three, taking his weapon from him, holding the German at gunpoint decides, fuck it. Best warrior wins, throws down the gun and goes fisticuffs with this guy. No! Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so he's like, whoever's got the best fighting skills, he's like, if this is it, this is it. Um, also, to bring it back to his crow roots, this guy actually brought, he had a, uh, an eagle feather he would wear under his uniform that his grandfather gave him. That and awesome. he would also paint his body in traditional, like, tribal war paint underneath his uniform. That's so he was honoring hell. his ancestors by, you know, going into battle this way. Yeah. There's a whole thing about counting crow. I don't really know it, but it's a really cool thing if you look into that. Um, so yeah, so that's three right there, right? So he ends up strangling this Nazi soldier to death. Um, but <laughs> I, I guess, well, wow. I guess he didn't kill the guy. So he's, he's on top of this guy strangling him and this German starts to cry out for his mother and stuff. And he actually just lets him go. He pulls yeah. his hands off the guy and lets the German go. Um, but that's three, right? So final one is taking enemy horses well where do you find horses in western europe you know probably like i said probably late 44 uh well who was very much about their images fucking ss officers dude yeah <laughs> no holy shit so way. he's out scouting ahead because you know uh, native americans were used mostly as scouts and trackers and you know right. signal intelligence kind of stuff um He's out scouting ahead and comes across his farmhouse, and there's a fucking corral in the back filled with horses. He's like, oh, shit, okay, this is kind of cool. So, sneaks into this corral, and mind you, he's by himself, armed with just the 1911. Unknown what a guy. number of dudes, unknown number of people in this house, but a corral full of horses, right? So, he knew how to ride horses, obviously, um, and he had no problem stealing the horses out of the corral and riding them back to the U.S. Army lines while singing and <laughs> singing war like uh, war songs, like traditional Native American war cries and war chants the whole way back. Can you so imagine? Four. Like that's, how baller is that shit? That's so cool, dude! <laughs> like what? That would like, be yeah, so cool, dude. Part of me is yeah. actually wondering if the officers or the people that own the horses saw that and they just saw this man screaming like Native American war chants, which is. Amer English is already a foreign language to him, and then hearing that, just being like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not, he's out there, he's not out there singing gonna get involved in it. Wait, can you back? Okay, so, almost, you're uh, almost, like, in like incredible. you're getting no jack shit all about natives. You know? I mean, to right. the point that we use the yeah. Navajos, it, we just like said, hey, speak your normal language over the radio, they, they'll never be able to break it. And they didn't! <laughs> nope. You know? So if you guys actually want to see some cool stuff about this guy... Uh, Ken Burns' series, The War. He's actually interviewed in it. Um, yeah, so you should yeah. check that out. I think okay. it's on Netflix. Um, but, uh, yeah, isn't that fucking baller? Yeah, that's how he became the last Crow war chief and the last war chief of the Native American Plains Indians. Yeah. You, that is incredible. You know he actually, salty? Uh, uh, I had a chance to go see this guy, and I didn't know who he was, and I turned it down. Are you serious? Ooh. Yeah. In 2010. Dude. I had a they had a they had a local powwow in in uh up north and and I had a chance to they were like, hey, this guy's gonna be there and I was like, I don't know, I won't go. 
And then I ended up reading about it like two years later. And my buddy was like, yeah, that's the guy we all went to go see. We thought you for sure come. I was so mad that I didn't go see him. Hmm. And so. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so President days. Obama actually gave him, I think, the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009. Um, that's awesome. And he got the, the French Legion d'Honneur as well and a Bronze Star in World War II. Uh, yeah. Well deserved. Yeah, he became a. He actually got he got an honorary doctorate from Rocky Mountain College in the nineties, and um, he's funny. known as Doctor Joe Medicine Crow. And uh, damn, went on to be Doctor Joe Medicine for, Crow, War right, Chief. Baller name, War Chief. War Chief. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. War Chief, not not just Chief. Fucking War Chief. Like, part of me about. wonders, like, what his chest candy looked like on his uniform. Didn't matter. He hey. put the head re- headdress on. I actually, yeah. So yeah what's that like, headdress did, did, looking like? Did he wear like it's chest incredible. candy, or, it's or incredible. did he wear? Right. So did he wear? A could picture he, here. Can you wear a headdress in uniform? I don't Probably know. not. But I'm not um, sure anyone's gonna have a have an issue. I mean, with if you can, you can like, wear a war chief, in, in uniform. <laughs> yeah, but this was the 40s. He was only in true, for 43 to like 45. Yeah, good point. So he only did his time. War was over. He got out. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that was incredible. No. Yeah, uh, but yeah, man, um, just just an incredible, incredible story. Like, like I said, the I, fact that he's a war chief fighting the Nazis, and that's how he got it, is just mind blowing. That is awesome. He yeah. was in the one hundred third. I promise you that that if anybody, if he said, "Hey, I'm a war chief. I want to instead of my my patrol cap, I want to wear my my war chief headdress with my uniform." No one is gonna have an issue with that in the military. Mm-mm. Like somebody may, but they deserve to get punched in the face. Yeah, I would, like, I everyone would, else is gonna be cool with it, like a hundred percent. Yeah, I would like to say that's true, but again, Tyler brought up a good point when he said nineteen forties. Yeah, it, that's also a thing. Yeah, nineteen forty three to nineteen forty six. So yeah, 40. yeah. Well, here, I'm actually check out this check out this headdress he's got. I know, I know the folks at home can't see it, but oh, that yeah, just just Google him, Jim. Dope. This guy's incredible. Like, give him a Google. Yeah, just wow. Definitely worth a Google. Like I said, incredible story, incredible family lineage. Like his, he says, his grandfather was at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Like, what? It's fucking wild, dude. <laughs> so yeah, so we uh, it's getting about that time, guys, where we have to unfortunately wrap things up. Now we'd love to just sit here and talk forever. But I, I want to mention one more person that is hard to kill. Um, and I know this is this episode is going to come out later than when we're recording it now. And normally we should be talking about this in, in, like in past tense. But to me, this, this really hurt this morning when I woke up and saw, uh, saw the news that James Bond himself, Sean Connery, oh, passed away this morning. The only James Bond. The only James Bond. And uh, surprisingly, like, I never knew the man personally, obviously, but that that's that hurt today. So yeah, this drink right here, I'm going to raise this one to Sir Sean Connery. That's right, fucking Sir Sean Connery. I know you're up in heaven right now looking down on everybody. I miss you, man. I miss Sean Connery. But on that note, we're actually, you know what, we're not going to end... In a morose note, um, he will be missed, but that's that's not it's not really our brand. What we're gonna do is we're gonna end on a good note, and I think tonight I'm actually gonna plug from Russia with love. Um, if you have not seen oh. the the amazing 007 film from Russia with love, especially <laughs> with the news today, get out and watch that movie. It is a class. It is a huge huge cinephile i love action movies and this to me personally is where i believe the trope for action movies was was completely solidified you've got your explosions your poor dialogue your easy to understand storyline your beautiful girls and then your action hero that just fucking slays like definitely check it out guys facts what about you You guys got some uh some plugs this week I just recently discovered this Instagram page, and I'm pretty sure I've sent to everybody in this group chat already. And it, it's related to it because it's from Russia with love as well. Um, it's called <laughs> "Look at This Russian," oh, and it is fucking the funniest, the funniest fucking Instagram page I've seen. Is it like, like it's just, people of Walmart for Russians? Yeah, dude. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't oh, sent yeah. it to you yet. 
<laughs> oh my god, I'll have to send it to you. I'm sorry. Dude, oh, dude, the guy my bad. Playing, oh my god. The guy dude. playing the Russian national anthem with a fucking AK oh. on a piano. Oh yeah, he's he's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing like, the, the suit with the tail, looking at the camera, playing the piano with the AK, oh. playing the piano with the AK. I'm the best part right is this jackass racks phenomenal. the AK and then just keeps his fucking finger on the trigger. Like his his booger picker's on the bang switch, dude. There's no trigger discipline. Like, I was waiting for a round to just blast through that piano. Hey, fucking incredible. Right now. It's so good, man. Look at this brush. Highly recommended if you want to get laugh. Like it's just, whew. If there's I'm a way that we can attach this to our story when this comes out, like yo, check it I out. Like it. just we're gonna throw it out there. We're plugging. Take a look at this. Yeah. It, it was awesome. Let's do that. Let's do that. All right, guys. Well, as always, this was a real pleasure. Um, looking forward to the next one. Have a good time. I appreciate it. Big facts. I appreciate you, boys. Peace, love, and blessings, my friends. Yeah, right, 2020, stay true, stay here. Peace.